0: When it comes to research funded by federal grants, the grantees can have conflicts of interest that are non-financial, like employment by another institution or worse, some tied to a foreign government that may try to influence research outcomes. After looking at the policies for agencies representing 90 percent of federal research and development grants, the Government Accountability Office has a few recommendations. For highlights, we turn to the GAO's Director of Science, Technology Assessment and Analytics, Candace Wright. Ms. Wright, good to have you back.
1: Thanks for having me again, Tom.
0: And first of all, let's talk about the agencies you looked at. These give out billions of dollars in grants every year, correct?
1: Certainly. We looked at the five largest grant-making agencies, which includes the Departments of Defense and Energy, as well as the National Science Foundation, National Institutes of Health, as well as NASA.
0: And they all have some way of getting grantees to certify that they have no financial conflicts of interest, is that correct?
1: Generally speaking, there has been greater emphasis over the years on looking at financial conflicts. However, given you know recent developments with law enforcement and intelligence agencies warning about certain risks to research security, there's a greater need to look not just at financial conflicts, but also non-financial conflicts. And so what we found in our work is that NSF, NIH, and NASA all have agency-wide policies for addressing financial conflicts of interest, but where we didn't see as much emphasis is in their policies is on defining what are non-financial conflicts of interest, and so that led to our recommendation. In addition, we also found that DOD and the Department of Energy did not have agency-wide conflict of interest policies. There were certainly some components within those agencies that had policies, but again, it wasn't something at the agency level, which we think is really important to ensure that there's uniformity and consistency across the agencies.
0: That's a good point, because if you're talking about the Defense Department or Energy, they have so many channels and so many grant-making bureaus and agencies that often the left hand may not know how the right hand does it.
1: Right. And it also creates confusion for the researchers who are receiving grants you know, and might have different processes and requirements that they have to follow you know, within just one agency, let alone across the various agencies that they may be um, you know, getting grant funding from.
0: And with respect to financial conflict of interest, which they are better at getting at, what forms does that take in general? What forms could it take?
1: So financial conflicts might include things like getting salaries or consulting fees or perhaps even stock options, maybe any agreements to have intellectual property rights, i.e. patents or copyright, for example. Those are some of the kinds of things that should be disclosed in terms of any financial conflicts that could create undue influence in the conduct and design of the research.
0: In other words, if I'm looking at something in the car industry and I have Ford, GM, and Toyota stock in large quantity, that would be a financial conflict of interest?
1: Potentially. I would just also add that it's important to note that simply having these financial benefits may not in and of itself be something nefarious right or it may not in and of itself be you know a bad thing, but it's important to disclose that so that folks who are reviewing these grants can have the information they need to determine if there are potential concerns and potential risks and then you know have a um, be able to put a plan in place to mitigate against those risks.
0: In other words, the uh, sunshine aspect of it. We're speaking with Candace Wright. She's Director of Science, Technology Assessment and Analytics at the Government Accountability Office. And what form can non-financial conflicts of interest take?
1: So these can really vary in terms of having other agreements to conduct research for another entity. It might also include having different kinds of appointments to conduct certain research. It might include affiliations with other entities or just, you know, getting other kinds of support. And so we think it's really important in those instances, again, you know, those things in and of themselves do not constitute a risk, but it's important to disclose that information so that folks can assess the potential for risk and make the appropriate decision.
0: Because the report mentions in the title and in the you know the preface to the whole thing the idea of foreign influence. So foreign conflict of interest could be, say, getting a grant from another government, for example, or or what forms could that take?
1: One of the things that's really become a great concern over the past few years are what are known as foreign government talent recruitment programs these are things that have existed for years and they can often be seen as very prestigious for a researcher to be invited to you know be part of these programs However, these kinds of programs, it has come to others' attention that they sometimes can obligate the researcher to participate in these programs in exchange for getting access to information about U.S.-funded research. And so they may obligate them to divert information about the research funded by U.S. taxpayers in exchange for getting salaries or lab equipment or other kinds of incentives.
0: And that's actually happened in several instances, hasn't it?
1: There certainly have been instances of cases that have been prosecuted where individuals did either fail to disclose their involvement in such programs or were found to be providing information, sensitive information about U.S. research.
0: All right. And let's get to the recommendations then.
1: Certainly. So we made recommendations to the five agencies that I mentioned earlier, as well as the Office of Science and Technology Policy. And a couple of things there that we thought were really important is to make sure that the agencies are taking the necessary steps to strengthen the policies that they already have in place. And so we recommended that NIH, NSF, and NASA update their conflict of interest policies to explicitly address and define non-financial conflicts. Because again, you want to take the guesswork out of the researchers having to try to understand what they should or shouldn't be disclosing. And so we think it's an important step to strengthen the policies by defining these non-financial conflicts of interest. And then for the Department of Defense and Energy, we made a recommendation that they needed department-wide conflict of interest policies so that it's not just at the component level, but to ensure that there's uniformity across the department. For OSTP, we had made a recommendation that they needed to provide detailed guidance, again, addressing these issues with regard to strengthening policies and providing the university research community with information about uh, you know, conflicts of interest and disclosure requirements. For their part, there was guidance that came came out earlier this year. However, it was at a very high level. And we've since learned that there are now plans to provide implementing guidance to even further strengthen what um, was already released. And so that implementation guidance is going to be due, I think, November 2021.
0: Got it. And when you add all of this up, it seems like a fairly important piece of housekeeping, given how much the government spends on grants every year, six, 700 billion dollars.
1: So I think from the work that we've done, we've seen that R&D expenditures can be about $40 billion annually, so certainly that's a lot of money at stake here. And it's really important to ensure that given these risks, while there is a desire to ensure that there's open science, because science often progresses through scientists sharing information, collaborating, however, there are certainly these risks. And so we think, you know, taking some of these steps to more clearly articulate for the research community what the nature of the threats are, what the extent of the threats are, and then strengthening the tools that can be used to help address and or mitigate these challenges.
0: Anything else we need to know?
1: Well, you know, Tom, I would just say that as we've seen with many scientific breakthroughs and technological advancements, it really takes a village, and oftentimes it takes a global village that's collaborating on research. And so really to try to address this issue of how do you balance open science and collaboration with security, it will be very important to ensure that you know everyone in the village has shared goals, interests, and values to really make sure that we're addressing the challenges.
0: And the agencies generally agreed with you?
1: Yes, the agencies did concur, and we understand that they are taking various steps to address the recommendations. They have not yet been fully addressed, and so we'll continue to monitor to see where they are in addressing the recommendations.
0: Candace Wright is Director of Science, Technology Assessment, and Analytics at the Government Accountability Office. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: We'll post this interview along with a link to that report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand, subscribe at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. and your lessons in and, and leadership, and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book, and thank you very much for your time.
3: It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea.
2: Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them.
3: I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do.
2: Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time.
3: Helping your
1: employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure.